In my experience, conversations are best had with a glass of whiskey. Join me, Alan Kogan, as I engage in meaningful discussions while enjoying a glass of my favorite spirit. Welcome to the Kogan Conversation. Alec Hickman. Yes, sir. How's it going, man? It is fantastic. How are you doing? How are you doing, I'm pretty, Alan? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty jealous now that uh, I am clean-shaven and you are not. And I was probably your only rival in our uh, our immediate friend group that consistently talks to each other as a, as a beard mate. But your beard has always been glorious and beautiful. So congratulations <laughs> on having the, the genes. <laughs> well, thank you very much. And my, my beard mourns yours. Uh, it's, it's a sad day, but... Still looking sharp as ever. So. Oh, I appreciate that. I uh, I take solace in the fact that when I'm older and, and retired, I can be Gandalf whenever I want to. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, <laughs> it's always a plus, right? So I know I, I've been I've been meaning to have you on for a while now, and uh, we kind of just decided, hey, let's do it. And we were talking about like what topics to talk about, and there's a lot going on right now. There's a lot that's going to be going on in the next over the next few months. Um, but what what give, give me your quick Alec, take on all the stuff. What's like the biggest priority for you as, as, as coming into the future in the next 20, 2021, 2022? What's what's the biggest horizon you see? Is oh well, uh, <laughs> it's, it's it's tough to pick one. Um, you know, there's there's so many things that that of course I think are are important to address. Not not only now, but. But always, but just kind of given my background and my area of interest, what I'm studying, I always kind of lean more toward foreign policy, international relations, things like that. And, uh, you know, coming from a military background, I, I kind of like to see what we're doing, what we're doing defense wise. Um, and I think particularly given the changing threat environment and the kind of evolution of our national security dilemma, that's, uh, that's something I'm, I'm very interested to, to examine moving forward. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, defense is a big one because I think uh, traditional warfare or conventional warfare is so long, so long gone. We haven't fought a World War II style war where the other guys are in uniforms and we know who we're fighting against. You know, and that, that plays into both the warfare aspect and also the public perception aspect as far as who's the bad guy and who's doing what and what, is, what, what matters. Because nowadays we have you know, cybersecurity concerns. And a lot of people either care or don't care if another country has your data. But I think there are larger implications as far as behavioral studies and understanding how to manipulate an entire populace based on, you know, their own personal data usage. Um, do you think that we're adapting in the correct way? Do you think that we have people at the top who are, at least in the military facets, that are like angling in the right direction? Or do you think we're so stagnant in that area that kind of are shooting ourselves in the foot. Well, you know, um, you know, I think we're moving in the right direction. Um, I haven't, I mean, you know, the, the, the military as, as a whole is, is such a massive ship. It's difficult to turn quickly. Um, you know, I think the environment changes a lot more rapidly than our ability to adapt to it. Um, I think we're moving in the right direction. I've, I've been out of the army for, for a few years now. Um, but I, I kind of saw some of the changes, um, and I think I think the biggest question here is everyone everyone likes to talk about we're transitioning more toward uh, toward peer and near peer threats. And I think the the big question is 
what is what does that look like right because everyone likes to imagine that oh we're going to return to to tanks and artillery and and massive you know massive armies and large amounts of soldiers and more conventional uh, conflicts and I, I you know i really don't see that being the case um yeah i i, I mean barring uh, the internet dying and us kind of going back to the throes of the, maybe the 1970s, but even, even prior to the internet, you had, you had changing in warfare as far as like, I mean, Korea and Vietnam were unconventional and we had, yeah. you know, and I mean, you see that you've kind of seen that throughout time. Um, and you, you've seen that, uh, I mean, you see falls in, in world powers because of their lack of ability to innovate in, in a military context. Um, you know, you can take it all the way, all the way back to the advent of the longbow and an inability to adapt to that style of warfare, or uh, back to our own our own revolution, um, or even prior to that, the, the French and Indian War and, and innovations in warfare that you know led the British military, the largest and, and most mighty force on the planet at the time, to to be pushed out essentially right what how do we adapt what's the best way to go about this is there a, is it a money issue is it a is it just getting a bunch of guys in a room and talk about ideas to the to best push ourselves in the right way i don't i don't know if i know defense spending is always a big hot button issue and i've always been a proponent of it's not about how much you spend it's about how you spend it and i think that's exactly it i think the largest trick is going to be identifying uh, not only what these new threats are, but where they're coming from, mm -hmm. I guess, I guess where, where these threats are coming from will help us to, to kind of flesh out, okay, what are these threats? How do we need to respond to them? Under what context, what type of investment in our, in our defense apparatus do we need to make? Um, now, you know, I'd bet you yeah, coming from China, we're, you know, we're not at conventional war with them we're at economic war with them you know and, and of course obviously cyber even more so i would i would argue potentially on on the russian end of things you know hev heavily involved um in cyber conflict we're doing things to each other with the internet that used to require kinetic force you know so we are absolutely at war with them and um you know you need to you need to be able to identify that enemy to know where you need to make your changes uh for example if you look at China, for example, uh, they are they're phenomenal at being able to identify a goal and stick to it and follow through on it. So maybe the first step for us is not directly countering them in in the directions in what they're trying to advance, but first trying to distract them from from those areas that they're trying to make moves. In. That makes sense. Would you say China is probably the number one as far as cybersecurity goes going forward? Absolutely, one hundred percent. I mean, to me and and uh, and what I know about it, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, goodness, I, I know that uh, there's a lot of perception issues though when it comes to cyber warfare. That a lot of the, the public, the modern, the co common civilian doesn't really give a shit. They they think that you know, okay, well, if Apple and Google and all these big companies already have my data, and I have apps that are run out of China that have my data. I don't have anything to hide. I don't really care. It doesn't matter. How do we sell to the public perception? Because that immediately drives into the democratic accountability process of our defense spending. If you're going to, if you are, if we're going to have people like Congress, Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard, who I'm a fan of, but her whole thing is like hands off military, military industrial complex and, and taper everything back. Um, 
if you have every single person in office like her, do we set ourselves up for failure because our public doesn't understand there are larger implications that are more than just boots on the ground? You know, that is that is difficult and um, particularly given um, the administration that we're moving out of and the ways that he has kind of painted China and, and people will see threats of, of of someone pointing to them and saying, oh, well, like this is actually a threat because it's been kind of like a comedic thing with with uh, President Trump saying, oh, China, this and cyber that and what have you. And people kind of point and laugh when those are actually uh, legitimate concerns. And right. um, to that end, I mean, of course, we need to convince the people to come around. But I think also very importantly, um, even if the, the the American public at large, I think in part they have come around to this, but at large has not. Um, corporations certainly understand the importance and implications of this. Um, and this is an important time, particularly within our intelligence community, to be uh, to be developing uh, non-classified products and uh, sharing intelligence in ways that we can with uh, private industry, which now affects our national security. Right. Yeah, yeah and that's a good point. And I, I wonder, I, I think there's going to be a lot more private industry taking the, the now that all the censorship stuff has been happening with big tech. And I mean, the last I would say the last five years has been this brewing conversation about big tech's place and everything and how much government should or should not be involved with how they do things. But places like Signal and Proton Mail and things that, that they pride themselves on deleting all your stuff, not housing it on a, on a server. And therefore, they're safe, encrypted, and they're virtually immune to a cyber issue like China mining your data. Um, but I also wonder how much of that is just marketing and flair and trying to, you know, weed into the the market and saying, hey, I can sell you on this. It's encrypted and your VPN and all these things. And how much of that is just, I mean, is it just an extra step for China to get through if they really wanted to get into your stuff? Yeah, you know, it, it certainly is. Um, it certainly is a concern, uh, particularly given um, the experience of the market and well, selling things to you and, and, and knowing how to take something and, and how to market it. Um, certainly, you know, I see that as being a concern. And um, it, it, I guess it depends on is there more of an incentive for them to provide the service, which they say they're actually providing, or to just continue to collect and sell this data under the guise of, well, you didn't read the terms and conditions and this isn't what you thought it was. Right. Right. It's, it's a weird time, man. I think that this, I mean, obviously this is just one aspect of, of, of adaptations in our defense, national security, not only just for us, but for our allies as well. Um, because we, I know we all work together and we need to, um, especially when we're so hyper-connected. But the internet's just one, and it's such an infant. Uh, I often forget, I mean, we were born in the, in the time when the internet was created. Pretty true, and, yeah. And that's kind of a sobering thought that we, at how far it's come to 2021, and we still don't have a grasp on the, the scope of the internet and what it can be used for and what, you know, uh, there are still, I, I'm, I've worked in a lot of mental health capacities. And it's like, we still don't understand the, the social, uh, social science aspect of, you know, behavioral therapies and cognitive, uh, dissonance and, and, and mental health and, and, and suicide and whatnot. All the data is not hundred percent clear on how much the internet age has affected that. Um, 
It's been great. It's been bad. It's been great for knowledge and being able to Google something. At, uh, you know, if I wanted a quick look up a fact right now for you, I could. But I also can get like bullied more than ever, and I can get uh, canceled, and I can get things removed, and 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 people criticizing and whatnot. So it's it's you know all that I think is an amalgam of just the human spirit being stretched to the nth degree, and now that the human spirit is so stretched out and unable to understand it. We also have to throw in the realities of the world, which include enemies like China and how they will use that and understand that, hey, a bunch of Americans who are idiots are going and posting their food pictures on Instagram. We could get about half of them pissed off if we just share a meme that says uh, vegans are evil. It's, you know, it's it's very true. And God, there's so there's so much here to, to touch on. I mean, um it is it is an amazing amazing capability like as you said we don't really fully understand and, and we're understanding more and more every day the the capabilities that this tool provides us and I think by and large it's a it's a wonderful beautiful thing like I carry around a supercomputer in my pocket that you know has exponentially more processing power than something which used to take up an entire building right you know and I can use that to access the this entire scope essentially of, of collective information. And, uh, I would say like 90% of us more often than not just use it to, to post our, whatever, our every coming thought out into the world for, because everyone needs to hear, you know, my, my half cooked ideas on, on whatever has come across my plate today or, you know, to, to get upset with someone or as you say, post pictures of my food. Um, and it's, uh, I think it's, it's caused us, many of us, to become uh, very narcissistic, and uh, and so it's very easy to to manipulate people given this given this tool. And of course, with any new technology, one of the first things we love to do is learn how to weaponize it. And I think uh, states are learning more and more effectively how to go about doing that. Um, yeah, I, I think it, it it becomes a personal fear for me because if you if I were to put myself in the shoes of someone in the uh, maybe the years of the Cold War uh, leading up to Vietnam. Um, what do I have to be afraid of from a foreign country? Communism and, and its potential to spread and affect, eventually affect me over here. But really the day by day for me is I'm going to be at my home in my 1950s suburb and be 100% fine, especially as a, a white male <laughs> in that time frame. I'll be, I'm, I don't care, right? Obviously... 1940s and Nazi Germany, that was a more, that was a more, you know, they attacked us and that was a clear and present danger. But you, you look at like today, every single day we're on social media, every single day I'm on social media, if I make a post and even if it's like a well thought out post or if, it, if it's just off the cuff, I get so much uh, gratitude and affirmation if someone likes it. If I have 10 likes on a post versus a post that has none, it makes me feel good. I must, I must have said something right. And it makes me even feel better if I post something and both people who I know are Republicans or Democrats both like it. I'm like, ha, that means I'm really right. And I get, you know, I get, I love that. And I, I'm so self-aware of that, that it's not, I don't put that much value in it, but in that moment I do. And I have to check myself. And the fact that I can feel that manipulation happen just because I'm like playing that slot machine and getting all the, all the bells to ring on, on Facebook or Twitter it's like, oh, that's scary. That's so for someone who's not able to be as self-aware as I am, or isn't doesn't have the mental capacity to be as. It's like that. That's dangerous, and that's that's my biggest fear. 
You know, it, it, it certainly is. And I think once again, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a, it, these platforms are an opportunity for us to share collective information and to have, to have discourse and, and, you know, to, to connect globally. Um, unfortunately, I don't like to just focus on all the negative things of the world. Um, I think that has happened. Um, but to a larger extent, there have been these more detrimental effects of people using this technology, entering into echo chambers and just becoming all consumed with, you know, oh, I got like a little a little heart or, I can, oh, I can become an influencer. And that's that's what I'll do. You know, I'll I'll use this uh social status that I have to basically just shill shit for people. Pardon, pardon me, but. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. There are, there are a lot of people out there who are just like, they, they don't have that much money, but they just have the best filters and they have a, a couple pairs of clothes that they can interchange. And it makes them look like they're rich hanging out in Dubai somewhere. When in reality, they're just some Joe Schmo in their mom's basement making a, a, a fuck ton, excuse my language for just posting on, on the internet because they have a quote unquote life that I want to live. So I, I live vicariously through them. It's incredible what, what the internet can do. Um, I saw, I want to, I want to get your take on this because I just saw this before we hopped on. Um, and it's, it's not super relevant, but it kind of is. There was a, a request for places like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram to update their terms of service that say, uh, if you want to use our product, you can, but your, uh, your name, your phone number, your verified name has to be verified, however they verify it, your phone number and your address or whatever has to be public. So that if you want to use this town hall service, it's gonna be treated like a phone book and you wanna put your opinion out there. Uh, that way, so take away all the censorship, keep it to where I have to be me. I can't be some, like I can't make a fake profile, which is really easy to do. Uh, and if I wanna put, put my name out there and say something, it's on me and I'm, at the risk of whatever I want to do, just I was if I was in a town hall in the 1970s with a phone book to be searched through. Um, I don't know. I, I thought about it, and I did, this just reminded me of it. I'm like, maybe that'd be kind of interesting. <laughs> no, I mean it. It is. It is a very interesting idea to me, and I would say as you know, as as private companies, they can really do whatever whatever they choose. And if I want to use that product, I will abide by these terms and conditions. And right, that's you know, so they can do whatever they like. Um, I kind of, I do like it as an idea for, for increasing levels of accountability, you know, and, and as I said, if you want to use this service, these are the things that you will do. Um, I, 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 I do see some issues with, uh, just like ease of, of more, uh, extreme individuals and, and perhaps doxing people, um, you know, right. potential right. concerns. Um, or, I mean, people who, who have things that they want to say and still the ability to communicate with others, um, moving these ideas, which even though I don't agree with, I believe should be kept in the open so that they can be publicly observed, um, moving these ideas onto platforms, which are not in the public eye, wherein these people can create their own echo chamber and say whatever they like, um, and kind of grow, uh, movements that way. So uh, moving on from the internet, even though that's probably the, the biggest one to talk about with a lot of the different things, I think another one, another big one to me, as far as adaptation is climate change. Certainly. I think, I think there's going to be, and I, I, I don't know the numbers, but I know that in the next 10 years, there's, uh, 
estimated massive migration in a lot of nations that we are currently trying to deal with, whether it be the Middle East or Africa or whatever, whether it be from famine or from war-torn areas that might have, half of them might be our doing or just because we've meddled around in there too much. But climate change is massive and there's going to be a lot more refugees that are looking for uh, asylum and, and safety in European countries that are kind of landlocked and safe uh, or, I mean, even our own nation that now we have half of California and half of the Gulf Coast and half of the East Coast moving inland and causing a massive issue. Um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on, on, on national security and, and how, I mean, that, that's been ignored for the last four years. Even, I mean, Secretary of Defense Mattis, before he was he left, he said it was number one threat and that was glossed over. <laughs> Certainly. I mean, um, you see with, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say global warming uh, rather than climate change. Just, I feel like people are afraid of those words. Um, <laughs> that's kind of largely what it is. Um, we're seeing, for example, um, in, in the North Atlantic, um, thawing of, of seas, oceans, which were previously frozen, um, particularly with the threat coming from Russia and this opening their ability to have more active ports. Um, we're kind of creating a new, quote unquote, battle space in this region. Uh, we've already discussed uh, in placing troops up there. Russia has discussed in placing troops up there. So, we, you know, that's we're creating a new and challenging environment with this. Um, yeah, that immigration um, or just generally migration is um, certainly going to, to present many challenges. I, I believe I read it in, in Foreign Policy magazine. Um, you know, I did, don't quote me directly on this. I would recommend uh, anyone listening to this go and try and find the article that I'm pulling from in Foreign Policy magazine um, that certain uh, European states have actually committed to uh, securing parts of of North Africa, particularly uh, Chad and Niger, uh, to prevent uh, to prevent people from migrating into Europe, um, which is uh, very troubling to me. Yeah, <laughs> um. I mean. That, that's going to be a big question that it's like, it's a, it's not only a, a national security issue. It's a human rights issue. It's a, I mean, what do you do with these upwards of millions of people who are going to be displaced to no fault of their own and who don't have anything but their shirts on their back in a lot of these third world countries. And, you know, is it, is it going to be the, become the job of first world westernized worlds that like the United States and the UK and Germany to take in people or do what they can. And, you know, that's kind of why I'm such, I'm kind of frustrated with the United States right now, because over the last four or five years, we've been, we've been weakened in the public perception, but we've been strengthened militarily as far as like, don't screw with us. But we've also been like very hollow on humanitarian issues abroad. So we ha we haven't figured out our own shit to begin with. We're we're kind of a, a wounded animal right now, trying to solve the world's issues. That, that and that does not work or bode well for anybody. And I wish we were we could have been over the last 10, 15 years building ourselves up internally to become the people that can help where needed when these situations like migrate mass migration will happen, and we can have the uh, the capacity to take in people in whether it be like a a, 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 a 
a refugee camp or something where we can pe- keep people and, and not like not Japanese internment style, but like like this is a place to come quick just so you can get here and be safe. And then from there, we will then do paperwork and make sure everything's good and make sure we can get you to a place where you can live. Um, I don't know what the plan is, though, because I think the answer is not going to be the military handling everything. The, ha- the answer has to be every nation together as, as, as well as the public perception changing. And I think that, I mean, unfortunately, military indu- military industrial complex and the public perception both go hand in hand. And we haven't figured out how to deal with these issues without just throwing guns at the issue. Absolutely. I would say, uh, by and large, the, the military is is but a very small part of our, you know, national security uh, construct as a whole. And, and people don't often think about that. Um, even, even our, our own economic actions, um, have consequences, for example, in, in, uh, in this case with climate migrants. Um, if, if people were to see us as a large contributor to these issues that are causing change, it could create grievances with these new displaced groups, which could create national security issues for us or other Western states. Um, our, the, the ignoring of, of most of the West of some uh, massive humanitarian crises uh, recently, for example, the, the Uyghur population in China or um, the entire conflict in Nagorno-Karabakh recently um, calls into question like our, our legitimacy as an enforcement authority for human rights violations, um, which, again, could create more grievances against the West because we've cemented ourselves in the past as being kind of the barrier between, between people and those who would wish to, to violate their rights. Um, yeah, I mean, you bring up the Uyghur Muslim population in China, which is a very uh, seldom discussed issue, which is very frustrating because it's a massive issue. Um, and I think things that I've read and done the research on with with that what's going on is it's not just, it's not just the fact that they're being, they're taking Muslim people and re quote unquote, reeducating them in these concentration style camps, but what they're having them do as far as, uh, production is a direct issue as far as uh, global warming or climate change is concerned, because they're, they're just mining resources and using these people as forced labor and China is overpopulated to begin with. And it's just overusing resources to begin with. And it's just, this is another window into the fact that they're, they're mixing humanitarian issues with the climate change issue. And we're over here saying, maybe we should taper this back and make things change and good on the U S if we can change our, you know, get off of of oil and, and, and become carbon neutral at some point, you know, sustainably, but China's over here with the most, the, the largest issue. And on top of that, they're using, they're being anti-Semitic, anti-Muslim, uh, anti-homophobic, or they're being homophobic, all this stuff. And it's like, at what point do we have to go in there and say, hey, we have to fix this? And it's, is it going to be because of the humanitarian issue or is it going to be through the guise of climate change because the rest of the world figured their shit out and China still has not? And it's it's almost disappointing that we haven't done it for the former not that we should go in there, but I mean, metaphorically go in there and, and say, hey, come on, guys. But the conversation hasn't been happening. Right. It's a, it's an issue everyone's been, I don't know if they've been afraid to address or they've just been willfully ignorant or focused on other issues. But even beyond what they've been doing within the borders of their own state, we can look at uh, China's uh, recent activity uh, in Africa 
um, with resource exploitation, which doesn't, unfortunately, resource exploitation in Africa does not also come without exploitation of indigenous populations. It just doesn't. Right. Um, you know. it's, it goes hand in hand. It's, uh, yeah. and it, <laughs> I, I always, I always like to bring up like the, the colonial, uh, colonial America and the imperialistic nature of the, the United Kingdom. Um, times were different, right? There were, people were expanding. There was a new world, obviously indigenous populations here in, the, in North America and South America were taken fully advantage of, as well as the indigenous populations in, in Western Africa that were eventually part of the slave trade brought over to us, obviously terrible. But that was at a time when we didn't have such research or such a connected world where we understood the larger implications of doing these horrible things because they're, they're horrible in, in two ways. One, they're horrible because it's like you're hurting another human being and that's terrible on itself. Um, and that's what makes those things back in the day inherently bad. But two, it's bad because we have the knowledge nowadays to know that on top of hurting another human being, you're breaking down societal structures and, and hurting the climate and hurting the way the world operates in a much more devastating down the road manner. And we have the technology to know that that's going to happen. So now you're wrong twice. Uh, so, I mean, a, a imperialistic England would never, Britain would never be able to exist today and get away with it. Um, no, I, absolutely not. Um, or at least one would hope not, even though we have dropped the ball in holding people accountable for actions such as that. Well, and many people would call us imperialistic. Um, I, we, I mean, we go over to different countries and I, I mean, the, the common joke and, 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 and thought is that, you know, we're going over to other countries just for their oil and we don't really give a shit about democracy or, or giving them voting rights or, or giving women rights in Middle Eastern countries. We just care about getting oil. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can certainly see that in the past. I, I see that excuse being a lot weaker now that we are a net exporter of oil. We, of course, still will have interests in the Middle East as long as uh, OPEC is determining prices for these commodities. Um, but yeah, I, know, I, I absolutely see your point uh, there. I mean, there's there's evidence to show that we and other Western states have been more interested in uh, stability in these regions rather than democracy, uh, particularly in the fact that we support regimes um, like the Saudi royal family, um, despite their treatment of women, despite uh, the, the brutal execution and dismemberment of uh, a journalist and their, their embassy in Turkey. I, I'm very sorry I'm blanking on his name right now. Um, uh, yes, um, when I, you're blanking because I'm going to make my blank. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, oh, I... I don't know. I'll have to look it up. Yeah. It starts with a K. It'll come. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, okay, yeah. And that's, that's a good point because uh, that's one of the things that I think we're, we're learning to adapt to as well. And for the, for better or for worse, you know, we've, we've learned how diplomacy does not mean, you know, agreeing with everything the other side or the other person does it just means that you're you're keeping a status quo of understanding each other's position in the world um there's a big thing with the middle east too is that you know we, we have to understand that their culture is different and it, it might be it might sell very well to the taxpayers and the voters here in this country to say we're going to go over there and and, and for, liberate them from a, a horrible leader like Gaddafi or from from uh 
uh, Saddam Hussein or, or whatever. We're going to take care of Osama bin Laden. We're going to get rid of them and we're going to give them democratic voting and we're going to make them have rights and they're going to be able to just be like, just like us. And they're going to have their own Hollywood Boulevard in 70 years. It'll be great. And, you know, that's all wonderful because we're Americans and we we want everyone to have the same kind of values and liberties and, and freedoms that we do. I go down the street wearing whatever the hell I want to, uh, other than being nude and not be arrested. And that's pretty awesome freedom. In the Middle East, you have to wear a certain thing. Otherwise, you will be stoned. And that's that, that ju- juxtaposition is so stark. But there's a reason for it. The reason is because they value strength and power and they respect that in a leader and people who are you know, the, of the patriarchy, people who are, who are male or strong warlords who have these, you know, these uh, almost vindictive style of, 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 you know, taking care of things. And that's awesome. It's like a, an Italian mob boss. Italians have a lot of respect for the, the godfather, right? Um, that's not America. America isn't like that. But for us to go over there and say that, I mean, we know now that that's not, that's not what's happening. I mean, we're not going to have any kind of democratic voting in, in, in those countries anytime soon. But we have to play that game of, yeah. Do we? How much do we kind of look the other way when it comes to Saudi Arabia and saying, "Hey, you know, we don't like sixty percent of what you do, but the forty percent of what we do like, and the fact that you're against these people over here, that helps us and keeps the world stable enough for us to maybe down the road talk to you about your other issues. But for now, we're going to just pocket that and not worry about it. And you know, is that okay? And I think to a large extent, it can be. It's still frustrating, <laughs> but I, I, I would agree. And it's 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 kind of balancing what what is the most important enduringly and what is the most important at the time across a variety of fronts. Um, you know, how, yep. how do we approach these issues? Yep, it's uh, it's an ongoing battle, and I, I know. I mean, I, I think the the internet gave this this unique window into what's possible as far as like. I mean, we, there there are, are, are communities online that show. I think about Popular Front is a big one that go that people journal, grassroots journalists that go out and, and actually do journalism that don't necessarily get paid for it or get paid very well. They get some kickback now, especially with online services like Patreon or for or donations, which are, is great. But they're they're self employed. They just go around doing stuff, and you know you're getting a window into that world because there are people out there who also have cell phones, who also have Twitter feeds. And, and that's one of the things that I'm so upset about this, this censorship is it's like, no, I want it all there. I want to see it all. If it's graphic, I want to see it. Uh, you can say, if I want to set my own Twitter settings to see something that is not graphic, I can do so. But if I'm looking for, Hey, what the hell is going on in the middle East when Arab spring was happening, how many years ago? Uh, there were so many videos of just random civilians on their cheap smartphones and uploading to the internet and American citizens without having to go through 17 different layers of security could see that right there happening. And, and we could have an opinion on it. And, and I think that could be good and bad, but good in the sense that we understand that, you know, they are human beings over there and this is what's happening. And I think that tool of the internet is, is one of the most interesting parts, but using that and adapting in, in, in that way and understanding that, our defense can be hindered sometimes by the knee jerking public reaction to certain things overseas. And I don't know how to play that game. It's, it's tough. It is, it is a tricky balance. Um, particularly when you have people who, who do choose to, to access, uh, that, that type of information, those, those news sources. And, um, when you have people who, 
who willfully ignore or uh, even even uh, negate the existence of these types of, of things because, well, it hasn't crossed my feed because of, of my algorithm and what I choose to see. It's not showing me these things, and I am not going and seeking it out myself. Um, so it can help or further divides in, in certain areas. Um, it can also ideally drive people to inform themselves on certain issues. Yep. Um, once again, I'm going to point to Nagorno-Karabakh. Uh, it was something I liked to bring up a lot in my last semester of classes because there were too many people where I said, have you seen what's happening in Nagorno-Karabakh? And they said, where, where is that? What, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, mildly concerning, um, particularly given that, uh, I mean, as you said, you have all these cell phone videos of people recording war crimes, uh, just brutal violence. Um, and again, what, what has been done, you know? Right. Do you think it's important if, if something like that's going on, is it important for, for you and I to know about it for our defense department to do something about it? Or is it, is it incumbent upon the national security apparatus of our country to sell to the public and say, in more words or less, of course, keeping things under wraps if they need to for national security purposes. But is it incumbent upon them or the president or someone just to kind of sell it to the American people that say, hey, there's this new issue. It's very difficult and we're learning more about it, but we have to do something about it. And this is what our plan is. Or is it just we just got to do it because the American people are too stupid to understand and we have to just do it. Otherwise, they're going to be up in arms, half of them and half not, you know, that's uh, well. I would say we have we have a duty. Honestly, we have the greatest duty to inform ourselves. Um, I would say that for sure. Yeah. Um, it's not it's not anyone's job, particularly not the government's job, to to spoon feed us information. It's it's their job to provide us with uh, with information which we should have and do not have access to otherwise. Certainly, um, I would say it's not our job as a country to to do something about every malfeasance that happens in the world, uh, we'd be exponentially more in debt than we are now. <laughs> um, it is, it is, I mean, it is our duty, I think is, is just people to, to care about these things. And, uh, if, if there are, if there are people calling for action in these, in these certain areas, perhaps it may be the duty of the state to, to provide explanation as to why these things are not being addressed. Um, how it fits within our, our national security strategy or our humanitarian policy to not address these issues. One of the one of the things that just came into mind because of the age of the internet, what, what kind of took off as a viral thing, uh, if you remember the Coney 2012 thing? I do, yes. Yeah, and that was, I mean, that got up to the, to, I'm pretty sure, I don't know if it was uh, Barack Obama himself or his wife who had a, or maybe that was a different issue, the Save Our Children uh, thing. I know Michelle Obama did that as a, as a viral post. But the same same argument is that you have this, this thing that gets viral, and now everyone is being sold this one lens of the issue. And now it's almost like we're lobbying for our Defense Department to do something about it or lobbying the president to just in one executive order, send what SEAL Team 6 over and, and take care of it? Because it, obviously you and I know that that's not how that works, but everyone and their mother who saw 
uh, Zero Dark Thirty and understood the, the Hollywood aspect of how SEAL Team 6 operates, well, just send them over there and take care of it. They did that for Osama bin Laden. And it's like that, that the military nuance and tactics and, and, and all that stuff that goes into that, that thinking and that, that process is lost on the American public. So when it does get to a point where it becomes viral on the internet, where 2012, which obviously that that guy sucks and, it, and all the things that are happening in Uganda are terrible, uh, you know, people don't understand that there's more to the, the issue. There's more to how we go about these things, or they don't understand that we actually have been involved for the last 10 years in figuring out how to deal with a warring state like Uganda. But uh, short of like full-on invasion, there's not much you can do. So it's very true. And I mean, it, I would say it's, it's often difficult to explain to people that our, our defense department is for the national defense. And so if an issue is not a direct threat to the national defense, it falls pretty low on the totem pole for, for the address by the U.S. military. Um, right. And as you said, it's, it's already being addressed and, uh, through diplomatic avenues, unfortunately, slow moving, but that's how these things work. Um, and, and honestly, I, it comes back to to a fundamental issue of uh, when people see a problem, they demand the government do something about it, um, as opposed to doing something about it themselves. Um, you know, get involved, see what groups are there, see see um, what you can do to the legal extent possible to involve yourself in this issue, and and try and find a resolution for it. Yeah, I mean, there are there are a lot of humanitarian groups out there that are doing amazing work. Uh, Doctors Without Borders is probably the biggest one I can think of that does probably the best work. Um, the Red Cross is spotty, but they still do some good work. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I, I, I definitely hate this culture of us. Whenever something goes wrong, we ask the government to do something, and it's not. It's it's frustrating because that's part of why you know everything's hyper connected right now. We're seeing all the issues in the world, and now we're thinking, okay, well, if we're so rich and powerful, why can't we take care of it? You know, and there's more to it. But what do you what do you think is the number one thing that we have not addressed properly in in this new adaptive technological space? Where, where do you think that we're falling short? Where do you think we could really amp up our game? And is it because of money, or is it just because people just don't know? Oh, that that is a tricky question. <laughs> there are, are so many issues. Um, I mean, I would say because I don't know um, my the the thing that I would drive to first would be well if I if I don't know about something um, then intelligence would be the direction to move in. Um, of course, there are people who are far more informed on this. You could probably give you a better answer, um, you know. And I, I would say we we have certainly seen many examples of of issues in not only intelligence collection, but dissemination of information and interagency communication in the past, particularly following 9-11. Um, I would say that has certainly improved since then. Um, uh, you know, there's still ways in which we can improve and uh, particularly improve our, our communication and information sharing between ourselves and other states. Um, I, you know, that, that would be, that would be my response given you know, I can't exactly point to to the biggest problem because I don't know. So intelligence. I think that's fair. I, yeah. I think that's fair. I, I would I would probably, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it's just my lack of understanding of how much, you know, we've research we've actually done because I'm sure there are a lot of covert 
areas and, and top security clearance stuff that exists within military research. But, you know, uh, there are a lot of mental health implications with the Internet age. And I'm curious to know how much that has played into the decision making when it comes to dealing with China and to Russia and understanding that a lot of things that are occurring with our own elections and the, our own in, inner turmoil, how much of it, I'm sure there's a percentage, there's a percentage that have, has been self-inflicted. There's probably a percentage that Russia has played around with. There's a percentage that China's played around with. And there's also just a percentage of trolls that just are just screwing around on the, on the internet that are, you know, whatever. But how, how do we address that and how much of an issue is that? Or is that more so a uh, kind of a sucks to suck you have, if we give you the information that China and Russia are using your data and learning about you, and then you choose to continue to use that information and that data in the way that you are, you know, how much of a risk is that to national security versus how much of that is a risk just to yourself? Um, Absolutely. I would say to that point, disinformation is a massive and emerging area in the national security issue. Uh, disinformation from from within our own country and and from outside of our borders um, definitely has a has a massive role to play in our national security. And uh, as as it's an emerging problem, I don't know exactly how we're addressing it or how we plan to address it. Um, so definitely something to keep an eye on moving forward. Yeah, and I think I mean after this entire conversation, the theme is obviously you, you have to be responsible for yourself, and you have to you know with the with the fact that we know that's happening, we know that this is occurring in our elections, we know that. There was a certain amount of Russian uh, tomfoolery going on in the internet and setting about memes about you know how horrible Hillary Clinton is or is not or whatever. You know, uh, you know, we have to be able to make our own decisions without looking at memes on Facebook to begin with. Uh, it doesn't really matter that it's coming from Russia or not. Uh, the fact that it is and they're uh, purposefully misleading us in certain ways, you know, it's terrible. But at the end of the day, you're responsible for the inf information that you consume, and we cannot allow ourselves to be so subjected to online manipulation from just a, a headline or a catchy gotcha uh, meme or whatever that just lacks nuance or conversation. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, I, I do think it's an important thing to look into because if it is an ongoing emerging issue with other countries that want to keep breeding this hate for each other in our own country, that's a pretty effective way to tear down the, the Republic of the United States. So I think it's something to keep tabs on. But at the same time, the point right now is just personal accountability. Do what you can to read up on things and don't take anything at face value. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I mean, if if, if you're man manipulated, it's uh, in, in large part because you've allowed yourself to be manipulated. And, uh, right. you know, um, I also believe Jamal Khashoggi or at the very yeah. least Khashoggi. Yes. It's, it's Khashoggi. Yeah, see, I had Khashoggi. K right. Yes. <laughs> yes. The, the, the Saudi reporter who was brutally dismembered by the Saudi Arabians. Um, that was a that was that was a messed up story. Yes, absolutely. So I, I you know, on top of that, freedom of the press, uh, uh, protecting those who are doing great work um, overseas and even here, and, and 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 finding out the information that's needed. That sometimes is not the the sexiest news to consume, but it's important nonetheless to understand that, you know, there are other human beings who are dealing with very human issues and uh, making sure that we're, we're doing what we can to protect them uh, in, in the best way and making sure that freedom of the press and freedom of 
thought and writing and everything is 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 held sacred no matter where you want in the in the world if if another country like Saudi Arabia or Afghanistan or whatever don't value that but they have someone who does something we as Americans should value that culture and and prop that person up and say hey good job we appreciate you because this is this is what the world should be about is freedom of information um, but we have to play that game it's it's diplomatic yeah it is it is it's unfortunate um you know, access to and pursuit of information is is one of the most important things I would say to myself and to the preservation of our democracy as a whole. Um, and unfortunately, it does become part of the political game. You know, I would even go so far as to say uh, it's 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 crucial for the preservation of human civilization. Is that yeah. there? I think we're so we're so close to becoming uh, like almost as tribal as we were back in like 10,000 BC type days, because we have, even on the internet, we've kind of sectioned off in our little echo chamber clicks of where we want the best information. And that's, that's, that's a cultural shift. But I, I think as long as we stay steadfast and, and, and keep, keep the desire to learn and, and grow our own knowledge and be accountable for what we consume, I think we'll be okay. I just think we're in this weird learning phase right now with the internet where everything's, I mean, we have 5G. I can load 17 different web pages within a minute and everything's fine. Not less than a minute. I mean, what are they? That's, that's 4G days. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, that, that, that supreme access and instant gratification, we're still learning how to deal with that as human beings. It's a, it's a new thing that our brains were never wired for. Yeah, so. Absolutely. And it, it, it is unfortunate that in a, in an age where we have more of an ability than ever to be connected in some ways, you know, we're, we're more divided than, than we were before. We're more compartmentalized and sectionalized, but, uh, we, you know, I, I believe in people. I think, uh, we'll figure it out. You know, we have, we have the ability. Now we just need to figure out how to use it. Right. Right. And I, I think we have to keep that hope alive because I do, I do believe in people too. Um, but I think that belief in people is what needs to be more, apparent and, 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 and voiced and, and say, Hey man, it's okay. If you, uh, if you looked at 17 memes today and thought you were, had something right, but you found an, an article that proved you're wrong. It's okay. You know, yeah. I, I've done that every day. So yeah, it's all right. It's the pursuit of information, not the pursuit of being right. Exactly. Yeah, that's the, oh. that's the best point. Yeah. So, well, Hey Alec, this is great. I appreciate it. Um, I know we're uh, running short on time, but I just want, I wanted to have you on and talk about this cause it's an important topic. Yeah, it's it's been it's been wonderful. Thank you for having me on. I had a great time. Love to come back. Yeah, absolutely. You you you're uh you and your beard. I, I want to just have a conversation where it's just it's just me and your beard talking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I think we can arrange that. <laughs> right. Awesome. Well, hey, you have a great uh great time, and I'll uh, talk to you soon. And I uh, I will surely have you on again. I'm sure there's more to talk about. So sounds fantastic. Talk to you soon. Sounds good, man. Cheers. Right. Cheers. Thank you for joining the Kogan Conversation. Be sure to like, share, and follow us on all social media platforms. This podcast is available in video form on Facebook and YouTube, and audio on all platforms where podcasts are supported. Please consider supporting us on Patreon. Just a few bucks a month can really help us grow. Visit us online at www.thekoganconvo.com for more details.